What is it in our lives that we need to leave in order to follow Jesus? What is it in our lives that we need to leave in order to fully follow Jesus? Whatever it is that we need to leave, that's the thing the person that has become an idol in our lives. It's the thing that we end up coveting. It becomes the focus of our affections and our energy over Jesus being the focus of our affections and our energy. Sometimes those things that we need to leave are not bad things. In fact, they are good things. They've just taken the place of the Lord. Sometimes they are innocent. And they can be quite deceptive. Because it looks so good and it looks so innocent. doesn't seem to harm anybody. But little by little, it creeps in and takes his place. When Jesus looked at folks and he said, follow me. He meant that nothing was to get in between him and them. Even good stuff wasn't supposed to get in between him and them. So what is it that's there? Now, of course, sometimes it's bad stuff. Things in our lives that we know deep down should not be there. God does not want there. And it's that sort of secret hidden sin that we're keeping in our lives. In Joshua chapter 7, and I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles there, Joshua chapter 7. Joshua and the nation of Israel face the challenge of temptation. I've been in a series of messages through the book of Joshua. And we have looked at the different <clears throat> challenges that Joshua faced. And last week we saw that as the nation of Israel came up on the plains of Jericho, that they stood there in front of Jericho, which was at that time the, the mightiest city of its day. It wasn't really big by today's standards, but it had a huge wall around it for defensive purposes. It looked like it was impregnable, totally impossible to be able to conquer. And God gave Joshua, the nation of Israel, the instructions. They basically were to march around the city for seven days and hold a seven-day worship service around the city. At the end of seven days, they were to march seven times around and then give a shout on that seventh time around. And God said he would really take his hand and just flatten the walls of the city, which he did. And they had a tremendous victory. And they were really excited about that victory. But defeat, if we're not careful, often follows victory. Let me say that again. Defeat can often follow victory. And that is exactly what happens. They become complacent. They become confident in themselves. And so they step over into the area of temptation. And when they do, everything falls to pieces. Now, they're going to be out here in front of a city that's called Ai. And Ai was nothing compared to Jericho. It was much smaller. It was not nearly as well defended. And so they thought, man, we just took Jericho. Taking Ai will not be any problem at all. But they had another thought coming. You see, 
It's not the size of the obstacle as to whether we're going to have victory or not. It is whether we're walking with the Lord or not. It's never an issue of the size of the obstacle. It's an issue of whether we're walking with the Lord or not. So in Joshua chapter 7, we join the nation of Israel. And the first verse is really the key to the entire passage of Scripture. But the people of Israel, notice the verbiage here, broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Camri, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Let me read that sentence again, because that sentence is key to this passage. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Get up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men, and chased them before the gate as far as Sherebim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all, to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, they are, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord... And because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah. 
and the clan of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Camry, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent and the silver underneath. The challenge that we face of temptation. The first challenge of temptation that the nation of Israel faced here was what I call misplaced confidence. Misplaced confidence. They placed their confidence in themselves instead of in the Lord. And they got complacent in that misplaced confidence. They had this great victory at Jericho. So they look down the road and they see Ai. And they say, Ai is nothing compared to Jericho. And so they decide, we can go down to Ai and we can take this. Notice in the story that the spies go under Joshua's command and they spy out and they come back and they say, it should be no problem at all to take Ai. They don't say a word about the Lord. When you and I have a victory or a series of victories, if we're not extremely careful... This is what happens. We go from talking about the Lord did this and the Lord gave the victory to I did this and I accomplished this and we pulled this off. We go from talking about the Lord to talking about ourselves. And that is the first step towards defeat. We begin to look inside of ourselves and around ourselves and think that, man, we got this instead of God's got it. We begin to think that we can conquer whatever is coming. That there's nothing out there that we can't face that we cannot do. If you listen to so much of the language of our culture today, it's constantly, there's nothing that you can't do. We're always supposed to look at our young people and tell them there's nothing that you can't conquer. Well, that's a lie to begin with. And then they discover the hard way there's a whole lot out there that can conquer us. You see, it's never an issue of what we can do. It's what the Lord can do. And what God can do in us and through us and around us. And what God wants to accomplish through us. What he wills, what he desires to accomplish through us. But they misplaced their confidence and they got complacent. They didn't seem to even seek the face of the Lord when they went down to Ai. And you see, whatever is out there, if we don't take time to seek the face of the Lord before we take it on, chances are we're going to get wiped out. And that's exactly what happened to them. They go up to Ai, not seeking the face of the Lord, and they get defeated. Notice verse 1. It says, the people of Israel broke faith. The Hebrew word that's used there speaks of a betrayal of trust. It is also used elsewhere in the Old Testament to speak of adultery. They broke faith with God. 
They betrayed the trust that he had placed in them. There's only one man's sin. So you say, well, how in the world could they have broke faith? Because I believe that if the nation of Israel had sought the face of the Lord before they marched on Ai, there would have been a spiritual sensitivity within the nation that when they went up there, Achan would have found it hard to sin in the spiritual atmosphere that would have been in the nation. But when they marched up there without even seeking the face of the Lord, they got in trouble. Now, sometimes we as believers get ourselves in trouble in this way. It's not that we don't do great things, try to do good things for the Lord. But how many times do we take on projects in the Lord's name and don't even pray over before we take on the project? I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the other. And that's good, that's wonderful, that's commendable. But we don't bother to pray over it first. You see, I can get caught up in doing a lot of good stuff in the Lord's name that in some cases God didn't even intend me for me to do. And when I pray first and discern the leadership of the Lord and the guidance of the Lord first, then I go in the direction that God wants me to go. Anytime we get burned out serving the Lord, God's not the one that caused the burnout. We were the ones who burned ourselves out. Because we took on stuff that God never intended for us to take on. And we were moving not in His strength, but in our own strength. And that is exactly the problem that happens with Israel here. They move up there. He says, you have betrayed me. You've broken faith with me. In verse 1 it says, the anger of the Lord burned against them. Now, Achan goes in there to Jericho. And he starts looking around. And God told him before they ever went in Jericho, they said, once that city falls and you march in there, don't you take anything. Because he knew that if they took something, it was going to become an idol. So he said, don't take anything. Now I want you to imagine, oh, Achan. Achan walks in there and he begins to look around. Now God for seven days had told them, the only thing you're supposed to look at is the Ark of the Covenant. Because that represents the promises of God and the presence of God. So just look at the Ark. As long as you keep your focus on the Ark, you will be okay. And he told them, the only thing I want you to listen to is the sound of the ram's horn calling you to worship. So you keep your eyes on the Ark and keep your ears tuned to the sounds of the ram's horn and you will be okay. Well, Achan goes into Jericho, and as he begins to look around, he gets his focus off of the ark, he gets his ears off of the ram's horn, and what he starts focusing on is what Jericho had. Now, Jericho had a lot. This was a rich city. And I believe one of the reasons God had the nation march and worship for seven days is God knew the temptation they were going to face once they got in Jericho. He knew all that shiny silver and gold they were going to be looking at. He knew all that wonderful looking clothes that they were going to be. I mean, they were, Jericho had its own Saks Fifth Avenue. And he knew they were going to be seeing all them fancy clothes in there. And so Achan walks in there and he begins to look around. He gets his eyes off the ark. He stops listening to the trumpets. He starts listening to his own heart. He starts looking at that gold. He starts looking at that silver. And he says, man. I want some of that. 
I could be so rich. I could up my status. And I get just a little bit. I won't get all of it. I just get a little bit. So when nobody, he thinks nobody is looking, he grabs some of that silver. Nobody says anything. Nothing happens. Have you ever noticed for some reason we think the first time we sin, if God doesn't strike us dead, that we're going to get around with a little bit more? So the Lord doesn't strike him down, so he says, well, maybe it's not such a big deal after all. Maybe God doesn't really take it that serious. So then he goes over there and gets some of that gold and sticks that in the other pocket. And he don't get struck by lightning that time either. Well, this is going pretty good. Maybe, maybe Joshua didn't really know what he was talking about. Maybe God doesn't take my sin that seriously. Maybe this isn't sin at all. And then he looks at his clothes. And he gets really dissatisfied with his wardrobe. And man, he sees a Babylonian robe over there. And those Babylonians knew how to make their robes. So he slips over there, and he gets one of those designer robes. And he puts that thing on, and he felt like somebody. Folks, when you and I have got to get something else and put it on us to feel like we're somebody because who God said we were in Him is not enough, we are in trouble. I am in Christ. And when we are in Christ, that's all we need. That is totally sufficient to be in Christ. And folks, when what we wear becomes part of our identity and defines us to ourselves and to other people, we're in trouble. When anything that we feel like we got to bring into our lives helps us to feel like we got value, we've got worth, we are in trouble because Jesus and Jesus only is sufficient for us to know and to feel like we are who we need to be. I am His child. It can't get any better than that. I belong to Jesus. It cannot get any better than that. But He's in there and He says, man, I've got to, got to put on this robe. And so he puts on that robe, and he really feels like he's somebody. So he takes that thing, and I would love to have watched Achim, you know, taking that thing and however he folded it up and stuffing it inside his clothing so he can get his way out of there and sneak over to his tent. Can you imagine how funny Achim must have looked? I bet he was tiptoeing around so the shekels wouldn't, you know, bounce around in his pants. He's got this bulge anywhere. He's got the robe all up, and he's trying to sneak around. And that's another sign. When we're trying to sneak around and do it, we know we're in trouble with ourselves. We know we're in trouble with the Lord, etc. Now, follow me on this. Nobody saw it. Joshua didn't see it. Nobody in the nation of Israel saw it. But God saw it. And that's all it takes. There's a verse of scripture that says, What you do in secret is going to be shattered from the housetop. God always sees, and we never pull one over on Him. We never pull one over on Him. And we may think we've gotten away with it, but payday's coming. God is going to expose our sin for what it is sooner or later. You can just count on it. God may not do it within the first 24 hours. He might not do it in the next 48 hours. 
But it is going to come because he sees it all. And if we don't repent and get right with him, judgment day is coming. That's just a given. So Achan goes and he gets in his tent and he's got to do something because he knows if he just... He can't walk around the nation of Israel, you know, in his new robe, because people are going to say, where'd you get that from? And they're going to know, because it's a Babylonian robe. It didn't even have any marks of what an Israelite would have wore. So he knows he can't walk around in it. Folks, one of the things that cues us off to hidden sin in our lives is we get really good about hiding it. And the more time and effort i got to put into hiding stuff in my life, the more I know that what I'm doing is wrong because the hiding is telling me that what I'm doing is wrong. Now, God sees through everything, so you can't hide anything from him. But, oh, Achan's in his tent. Could you imagine how funny it must have looked? It didn't look funny to him, but if you'd stood on the side, it would have looked sort of funny. He gets in his tent, and he gets that door to that tent shut, and he's probably tying it up to make sure nobody can get in there. And then he starts digging a hole in the ground. He would have gotten his shovel out. And he would have pulled that thing out and he would have started working hard on that deal, digging that hole up, moving that dirt around. And then he puts the robe down in there. And then he puts the money down in there. And then he covers it up again. And he thinks, I got this. Nobody's going to see it. People come in my tent, they're not going to see what I got hidden in here. But you know, God's got that x-ray vision. So the Lord was seeing everything that Achan was doing here. Now it says that verse 1 that the anger of the Lord burned against him and against the nation. God took the sin seriously. He identified it as sin and he was angry about it and he set about dealing with the nation of Israel about it even if Achan and his family didn't take the sin seriously. I can't stress this enough, folks. God's attitude towards our sin is not based on current cultural norms. God does not look at us and say, well, the world says it's okay, and society says it's okay, and our friends say it's okay, and everybody's okay with it, so I guess it'll be okay with me. God doesn't check in with the world to decide how he sees sin. God says this is wrong, and it is wrong, and I don't care if everybody's doing it. It is still wrong in the eyes of God. And that is exactly what God said here. Now, Israel marches into battle, and they think they got it. They haven't sought the face of the Lord. Had they sought the face of the Lord, God would have said, they're sitting in the camp, don't you go to Ai, don't you engage them, because my hand is off of you. And you don't want to take on Ai, you don't even want to take on an anthill if my hand is off of you. But they didn't do that. They marched right in there without praying, without seeking the face of the Lord, and 36 guys got wiped out. Now, they had taken Jericho and not lost one guy. Now, they got 36 guys who've gone down. They run and flee in the face of Ai. Totally a different game. You see, when sin is in our lives, we lose our courage really quick. We lose our backbone really quick when we tolerate sin. And that's what happened to the nation. God is holy. And the holiness of God means that he is other than this world. And God calls us as his people to be holy. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. 
I'll be preaching on that in a few weeks. But as his people, we are to separate ourselves from sin. We are to separate ourselves from that which doesn't please him. And because they hadn't done that, it says the anger of the Lord burned against them. Now, why did the anger of God burn against them? Because Achan's affections were no longer for the Lord. It was for the stuff. And the anger of God burns not because God just, you know, loves getting indigestion and ticked, being ticked off with us. The anger of God burns when we get involved with sin because he sees our affections moving in some other direction. It's like this. When a, a couple gets married and then one of the spouses begins to realize that the other spouse is got an eye that's going towards somebody else and is no longer focused on them, they get ticked off about it. Well, that's the idea here. That Achan began to not focus on the Lord and his affections were not for the Lord anymore. It was for this stuff. Now imagine Achan going into his tent every night. And he puts the stuff on. He puts that robe on and he walks around. He holds that money in his hand and he feels it. But how ridiculous would he have looked doing that? In secret, in his tent, playing with the money... And got his robe on, prancing around, probably trying to look in the mirror and being so impressed with himself. Now, when they get defeated, Joshua freaks out. And Joshua goes before the Lord. And Joshua begins to say, God, do you realize what this defeat means? Do you realize what the other nations are going to say about us? Israel can be knocked out in a heartbeat. And he just goes on and on fussing at God about what has happened. We make our worst assumptions about God when we are in a panic. I want to say that again. We make our worst assumptions about God when we get in a panic. Joshua was making a wrong interpretation on God's work on one reversal. And you see, panic has a way of distorting our view and understanding of God and what he's doing. What Joshua should have done is gone before the Lord and said, God, I don't understand why this happened. you got to show me. you got to teach me. I need to listen because something is going wrong here. But he didn't do that. He went into God's presence and he began to throw accusations at God. And then he began to tell God, you got to get this straightened out because your name, God, is going to get all messed up in front of everybody. Like God was not capable of knowing that he could defend his own name and reputation. Lord, you got to realize, you got to get this straightened out. And how many times do we freak out on the Lord because we feel like God's failing to live up to his promises, failing to live up to his reputation? And notice what God says to Joshua as he begins to confront him. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? In other words, Joshua, I don't want to listen to this anymore. You get up, Joshua, and you act and you do what I tell you to do. And Joshua, you need to be quiet and you need to listen to me now. I've listened to you. i got a stomach full of your complaining and crying about what has happened. Now you've got to listen to me because you've got to understand the reality of what's going on, not the panic condition that you think we're in right now. 
Now notice what God does in verse 11. Israel has sinned. And then notice how God gets really specific about the sin. They have transgressed my covenant. That is that they were in a covenant agreement with God. Where God said, I will be your God. I will protect you. I will provide for you. Your job is to live in obedience to me. And they had been disobedient. So they were not living. You transgressed my covenant. You've taken some of the devoted things. And then notice he gets real specific again with some verbs. You've stolen. You've lied. You put them among your own belongings. Notice how specific God is getting. You have transgressed my covenant. You've stolen, you've lied, and you've put them among your own things. The word there where he says you've transgressed the covenant is a fascinating Hebrew word. It means to act undercover, to act secretly. And you've broken a breach of trust. In other words, what God is saying when he says you have transgressed my covenant is you have gone behind the scenes secretly and you've broken the covenant. You've tiptoed out there and you thought nobody would see this and nobody would know what was going on and I saw it. You have broken the agreement you had with me and you've treacherously done it because you did it underhandedly. And I saw all of it. Notice that God identifies to Joshua for the nation of Israel, the specific sins. You've transgressed the covenant. You've taken some devoted things. You've stolen. You've lied. You've put them among your own belongings. In other words, your sin has become you. It's become part of you. What God is saying to Joshua and to the nation of Israel is this. You've got to repent, but I'm going to tell you specifically where you've got to repent. These are the specific sins in your life that you've got to repent of. Theft, lying, transgressing the covenant, taking it for yourself. The reason I lay emphasis on that is this. If you and I are going to get real forgiveness from God, and if we're going to get deliverance from the Lord from sin, and if we're going to get deliverance from shame, then we have to get specific with God about the sin, because God's going to get specific with us. The easiest thing in the world to do is go to bed at nighttime before we hop into bed say, God, forgive me my sins. Because I don't have to get specific with God there. God, forgive me my sins. But that's not really repentance. Because I'm not really identifying anything. I just got this big general thing I'm throwing out at him. Lord, forgive me my sins. And God says, no, we're not going to play that game. I'm going to identify the specific sins in your life. That you've got to repent of. Why does God do that? It's not because he enjoys beating up on us. It's because God knows that if we don't get specific about sin, we can't get delivered. We can't get forgiveness. He can't take us to where he wants to take us. We're going to stay in bondage to it until it's named and repented of and turned from specifically. One of the drifts in our culture today is nothing is sin anymore. Have you noticed that? I don't care what you do. It is not sin anymore. And you see, that is a sly lie of Satan because he knows if we won't identify anything as sin, then we can't get delivered from anything. If it's all okay, then I can never be delivered from it. So it's Satan's newest way of keeping us in bondage. God identifies it. You've got to repent of it. 
Bible says in Psalm 66 in verse 18, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. When you and I have got stuff in our lives that we are cherishing that is sinful, it locks up our prayer lives. God doesn't listen anymore. So they bring Achan up. And they go through the clans. And they get down to him. And Joshua says, what have you done? And he says, I have sinned. And I've coveted. And the stuff is hidden in my tent. And Joshua sends men to the tent. And they go into the tent. And they start digging up the ground in the tent. And then they find it all. What have you and I got hidden in our lives that God says it's time to dig it up? What have you and I got hidden in our lives that God says it's time to dig it up? And folks, sometimes God shows up in our lives with a shovel in his hand. And he says to us, it's time for me to start digging up the ground in your tent. Because there's stuff that you've got buried in your life that is defeating you. That is separating the two of us from one another. That if you don't get that out of your life, you think you can control it. But you see, the problem with Achan was his stuff was controlling him. He wasn't controlling it anymore. It started controlling him in Jericho when he began to focus on it. And by the time he buried it in his tent, it belonged to him. Yes, it belonged to him, but even more, he belonged to it. And when God begins to dig it up in our lives, he's saying that stuff that you've buried in your life you belong to it. It's become a part of you. And in order to get you free, I've got to dig it up out of your life. And dig-ups are never fun, but they are liberating. Dig-ups are never fun, but they are liberating. They put us right with God. And so I say to us this morning, what is it in our lives that God is saying to us, this has got to to come up. And I'm here to dig it up. And this is what we turn to do with the Lord. <laughs> the Lord shows up with his shovel. And he says it's time to dig it up. And we try to take a shovel out of God's hands. Oh no you ain't digging this up Lord. I ain't giving rid of this. You are not taking this away from me God. And God says I got the shovel in my hands. And we think that our hands are stronger than God's hands. So we get into a wrestling match with the Lord as to whether the digging is going to happen. Let me just tell you up front, you and I will never win that. His hands are always stronger. He's going to hand on to the shovel. You might as well just give it up and let him start digging. Let him do it. Let him go for it. But when he begins to cleanse you and set you free, then you'll understand why he wanted to dig it up. And it had to be dug up out of your life. 
Now let me share the final thing I want you to see in this passage. Nothing buried in our lives that we're holding on to is as good as Jesus. Nothing is as good as Jesus. It's not an issue of getting it out of your life so you can sit there with a hole in your life. It's getting it out of your life so Jesus can fill the hole. So that he can fill the tent. Achan's got his robe he prances around in in his tent. He's got his coins that he plays with at nighttime. But that couldn't begin to compare with the Shekinah glory of Almighty God down at the tabernacle. If Achan had just walked out of his tent and looked up in the sky and seen what God pulled off in creation, he would have realized it was a whole lot better than that sorry robe that he was wearing. There was nothing the Babylonians could do that would even get in the ballpark of what God had already done. He played with his coins in the temple, but God was saying, why don't you walk out your temple and look at nature and play with it? I created that. I blow everything away that you're playing with in your tent. And look at how small your life has become, Achan. Your life is no bigger than your tent. You're living in a great big huge world that I created and your life has become just about your little tent. Just about the little hole in the ground in your little tent. And you see, when we get this stuff in our lives and we're protecting it and we're holding it to ourselves and we got it buried in there, our whole life just shrinks and shrinks and shrinks until it becomes just about that little thing we got buried in our lives. Because we're trying to hold on to it and we're trying to protect it and we're trying to cover it up and we're trying to be secretive about it. And our whole life becomes just about that little thing. And God says, oh, I got so much for you. Get up. Give me this stuff. Open your tent door. Walk out. See who I am, what I am doing. Join me in what I am doing. See my son for who he is and what he is and run with him in that. Now, I got to go from preaching to meddling right now, all right? And we removed the hymn books from the pews because of COVID, but also so that you can't throw them at me. When I get in places in sermons that you're not particularly happy with what I'm saying, all right? That was a subtle reason we removed the hymnals there. I have got on my hip right now that I'm going to pull out and show you in a minute something that gets a whole lot of people in trouble in our society. Something that a lot of believers have got hidden in their tent. It's called an iPhone. And it's called apps on an iPhone. And sometimes, is this bad? No. Is this wrong? No. Is this sinful? No. But what I do with it can get me in a whole lot of trouble. And for a lot of believers, this is what's buried in the tent of their life. And the apps on it are what's buried in the tent of their life. Now, something my phone, cell phone does every <laughs> Sunday morning that I do not like. Long about 9.30, this thing sounds off. You know that little sound they tell you that something's coming across here. And a message pops up here that tells me how many minutes per day I have been on my phone for the week. 
measures it automatically. I don't like it doing that because it's very convicting. I realize how much time I have spent on the phone that week. Most of it on an app. But this thing can control us instead of it controlling instead of us controlling it. It could become our God instead of Jesus becoming our God. Now I want to tell you something. I have never found anything on this phone that even got in the ballpark of being close to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never have. And we've had a lot of stuff going on in our nation over the last two weeks. And I got a news app on here. And Friday, I decided I was going to fast from my news app for the day. So I didn't check it. Towards the end of the day, I discovered I was in a much better mood than I had been in for several days prior to that. I discovered that uh, I was a nicer person to be around. My wife was not telling me, all you do is fuss. So <laughs> I realized this is better. And I told her towards the end of the day, I said, I haven't been reading my news that day. She says, oh, that's why <laughs> things are going better, etc. But what I realized was the app was starting to control me and my perspective. And the other thing I realized I was doing was I was looking at it before I prayed instead of praying, instead of seeking the face of the Lord over stuff. I was seeking the face of the news app. Now, all of us have got places with these phones that we can get ourselves in trouble. But I think that's one of the greatest eras, areas of where we tend to bury stuff in our lives if we're not careful is there. Would you let me just meddle a little bit more and then I'll be through. Folks, whatever's on your phone is nice and wonderful, hopefully, but it'll never take the place of your family. You go through these things as they pump different ones out, but someday you won't always have your family members with you. Don't lose time with your family. These things will never hold you when you have a severe loss in your life. They don't stand beside graves when you have to say goodbye. They don't walk with you through tough times. Human beings do that. And that's one of the reasons God made us the way he did and put the people in our lives he's put into our lives. Can't take the place of Jesus. I've also got an ESV Bible translation on here, so you can put good stuff on there. But just please, please be careful, particularly with that, because you can get in so much trouble. What is it that's buried in the tent of our lives that God's saying, I want to dig up? It's got to be dug up. Now, sometimes the stuff that's in our lives is so deep, and it has become so much part of us that we can't get it out of there. And we've got to get it out of there. But we're going to need help getting it out of there. And God will send you the help. In fact, if God's dealing with you about something that's buried in your life right now and you know you can't get it out on your own, let me assure you that God has already placed someone or someone in your life to help you get it dug out. You just got to ask for their help. And that usually means we have to shed some pride and say, hey, would you pray with me about this? Can I be accountable to you? Can you help me get this dug out of my life? When I was a student, I shared this Wednesday night in our online Bible study. When I was a student at Southwestern Seminary, uh, working on my master's degree years ago, 
I went to my quiet time one semester, and, and as I began to pray, God said, there's an area in your life that is dragging you down. It is messing up your relationship with me. It's going to hinder your ability to serve me, and you've got to get this out of your life. And I did not want it removed from my life. And so I ignored the Lord. And every time I would go to pray, I wouldn't get dear Lord out of my mouth until the Lord said, this has got to come out of your life. And I was like, can we just move on to something else, God? Why are you obsessed with this? And it was just, it got to where I couldn't study a passage of scripture. I couldn't pray a sentence of a prayer until God said, you got to get this out. You got to get this out. This has got to go. And Southwestern Seminary at that time had a counseling program on Monday nights. And God said, I want you in that counseling program. And I told the Lord I didn't want to be in the counseling program. And God kept telling me I had to get in the counseling program. And I told God I was studying for the ministry. And I had my act together. I need to be in the counseling program. God said, you don't have your act together. Go get in the counseling program. So finally, one Monday night, I broke down and I went. And I was in it for the rest of the semester. It was not easy. It was not fun. I did not enjoy it. It was a digging process. But God set me free in so many areas. And God had already placed the people there that I needed in my life to help me get past this. And the peace of God began to come in where there had been turmoil. What is it in our lives that God's saying? It's got to get dug up. It's got to get dug out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning... We ask, Lord Jesus, that as you identify in our lives whatever it is that needs to be dug up and dug out, that Jesus, we will say to you, Lord, dig it out. And if we need somebody to help us, you've already placed them in our lives, that we will say, Lord, whether it's a relative, whether it's a friend, maybe it's even a stranger that you brought into our lives, Lord, I will take advantage of who you brought into my life to help me to get the freedom I need to get. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, because of this virus situation, I can't offer an invitation like I normally would to be down here, but I want to say to you that after the service today, I would be more than glad to meet with you, to pray with you. Uh, Jacob, uh, our youth minister, would be more than glad to do the same thing. Val share our music. Uh, a director would be more than happy to meet with ladies. Uh, we want to offer ourselves as a staff that we would love after the service. If you want us to pray with you, uh, to listen to you, to talk with you, we are so available for that. If you want to come and kneel while we sing, we invite you to come and do that. For those of you that are, are listening uh, through various social media, feel free to contact us through email or through Facebook or to call us. And we will be more than happy to respond to you. And for those who are listening that have said, you know, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I, I need not just a dig out, I need an excavation. But I just want to invite you to do something very simple. Just say to him, Jesus, I will follow you. With your help, I will follow you. And Jesus, I give my life to you. All that I am belongs to all that you are. And if you made that decision, please let us know about it so that we can encourage you. We can place into your hands 
some information from the Gospel of John that will help you begin to grow as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Valshare and the worship team leads us in singing, may we say to Jesus, Lord, dig into my life and show me whatever has to come up. And Lord, I invite you to do that. In your name I pray. Amen.